And uh, so let's welcome Rachel as she comes. Right, I want to teach you a couple of words. Awa means hello. So, awa. And if I say abebo, you say latvia. So I'm saying, how are you? And you're saying, good. So, abebo. Awa. So this is what I heard for two weeks, okay? This is what you always had to say, awa. Like you could be walking across the field and just hear, awa, and you had to look up and scan the area and go, awa. So um, I'm kind of nervous now. I wasn't nervous leading up to it, but I am now. Um, right, a bit of background as to how I ended up going on the trip. I'm watching the time as well. <laughs> just uh, um, I have been wanting to go on missions for years. Missions is in my heart. And I personally feel that I'm called to it, um, whether it be long-term mission, I don't know. Um, but I have been looking and looking and looking for mission. And for the past number of years, I haven't been on any. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, wait. It's not time yet, just wait. Even though inside myself, I was like, I want to go. Oh my goodness, there's so many opportunities. Let me go. And I can remember there was one, and Lois and Athena and all went. And I went to the meetings and everything, because I was like, I am going. This is brilliant. This is a mission. I'm going. But inside my heart, I was like, I don't think this is really right. And my dad even was like, I don't think this is right for you, Rachel. And whenever my dad says that, <laughs> I, I'm always like, mm, he's always nail on the head. And I was like, right, okay. And I had this verse a couple of years ago, and it says, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to be happy. And um, it also goes on to say, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. And basically, that was the Lord kind of saying to me, you will go, but in my timing. And I never wanted to go out and not be a help. I always want to go out and help the people. And that's always my heart. So um, I can remember speaking to the pastor and speaking um, the dad and all and I was just like right Lois handed me this leaflet and it was saying about medical missions lift was starting up medical missions and I thought yes this is for me the Lord has called me into nursing and I really think the Lord really wants to do, do use it and um but of course I was like I'm not just gonna kind of jump on it so I put it away in my bible and it kept coming to me. It kept coming and coming to me. And I was like, Lord, if this is you, I really need you to tell me. And ones in work were even like, so, Rachel, you haven't gone away. Because they're always asking me. They're always wanting to know about more mission trips and stuff. And I was like, yeah. Um, and then Lyft kept coming back to me and coming back to me. And I was like, right, I'll just contact the man and tell him. And we'll just see how that goes. That's me. Just put myself out there. And if it's meant to be, the Lord will completely make away and I emailed him on the Monday and on the Tuesday he mailed me back saying you have just contacted me right at the right time I am about to post the medical missions he privately posted me them and as soon as I read about this one I was like my heart just started skipping a beat and I was like this is it um so I spoke to pastor and all and he was like yeah go for it absolutely so I went and met the team, um, quite a mixed team. Uh, the ages range from 24 to 72. Big gap, but they are all wonderful. And to be honest, leaving the first meeting, I was like, Lord, this is not what I imagined. This is not what I had pictured for going away. And uh, one of the verses came back to me, um, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts and I just thought right Lord I know this is where you want me to be so I put all that aside and I missed the next two meetings we always have a couple of meetings and then we go on the mission trip so I only really had met them once 
I didn't even really know their names. I didn't even know who was really going. I can remember going to a meeting on the Saturday before flew out on the Friday. And I was looking around the room and there was parents there and there was family members there. And I thought, I do not even know who's going with me and who's not going. <laughs> and I can remember going, hi, my name's Rachel, are you going? And they were like, no, I'm such and such parents or I'm such and such wife. And I was like, I need to study my wee lift booklet like crazy. Um, but there was Baptist, there was Free Peas. I was the only Penty, of course. Um, quite a lot of jokes on that part. Um, but it was brilliant. Um, by the end of the project, everybody's getting on just like we had known each other for years. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, there's a couple of clips and stuff that I'm wanting to show you to let you know what life there is kind of like. Um, whenever we got there, after like 20 something hours of traveling, we flew from Dublin to Amsterdam, which was a couple of hours. And then we had a couple of hours stopover and then from there to Abuja. We got to Abuja, which is the capital. And we stayed overnight and we went and stayed in this compound, which is a mission compound there. And driving through the streets, well, the driving for number one. I thought we're never even going to make it here. My mansion is not ready. I am not ready to go. And like everybody was like, Rachel, would you stop it? Oh my goodness. Because everybody was on nerves ends. Like if the roadside said, do not turn right, they, they turned right. You know, they were going up the opposite side of the motorway on the same lane. People just didn't take time. They wanted to be where they wanted to be. Suddenly two lanes merged into seven lanes. Going to the compound after the first night, we then traveled down. So we left at about eight o'clock in the morning. It wasn't a holiday. Every morning started at like seven o'clock. And uh, I was the youngest lady there. And the other ones all, always went to bed at like 10 o'clock straight away. And I was always left sitting like me and the lads like, and like, I was like, for goodness sake, that's me again left. And like, they were like, it's okay. You've got youth on your side. You don't need as much sleep. I was like, I do. I'm exhausted. Um, but traveling down, it took us five and a half hours. We got stuck in a traffic jam for over an hour trying to cross the bridge, which crosses over the river Nature. Basically what happened was the two lanes, um, one lorry wasn't going fast enough. And as we all know, lorry drivers here, even if they're going two miles faster, they want to go ahead of that lorry. So the lorries tried to pass each other and they got jammed in the bridge, like actually jammed. So all the traffic going this way and that way was suddenly down to one lane. People were getting out of the lorries, out of the cars, shouting at each other. We were all just like, open the windows, open the windows. Because like there were 16 of us crammed in this tiny wee bus, which really should have been for eight. And then we had another um, like car, which had 20 luggage cases, which were big. Because we brought out medical stuff. We brought out sports kit. Um, we brought out everything and uh, I, I just looked and I just thought there's no way we're getting into this. There's no way, like 16 people, like there was nine men and four ladies and I just thought no way. But they made it fit where there's a will, there's a way and they were jamming them in. Um, the first day, um, we got there on Saturday and we just had time just to relax in. We basically got there at about five o'clock and we just unpacked had our dinner and then every night we always have a meeting as such um, one of the men played the flute so he had his flute his penny whistle and some other type of flute so we had some music and um, we had a time of praise and worship which was brilliant um, I said that if I go away next year, I'm bringing some of the Penty songs because there is quite a lot of slow songs. And they were like, what do you mean? Our songs are brilliant. I was like, I know better songs. <laughs> um, and um, then the next day was the Sunday. Church started at half nine. We were up at eight o'clock having our breakfast at half eight. You washed out of a tin and cold water. And you had to top up this kind of, it was like, a bucket and it like sat inside the bathroom and sometimes the water ran sometimes it didn't power cuts constantly the heat was horrendous it was over 40 and the humidity like 
you were just sweating all the time. There was nothing about being attractive or trying to make an effort. Your makeup just ran off your face, so there's no makeup. Like, half the team were like, I can't believe you even brought makeup. I was like, yeah, of course you did. Are you joking me? Let's just say after the first day, it wasn't out again. Um, so we went to church. Um, all the ladies have to wear a head cover. So you should see the picture of us in our first week. We couldn't even get our head cover to stay on our heads. We had two ladies um, cooking for us, Anugwa, and the other lady's name I can't really remember. They were fabulous. They'd done the cleaning for us. They cooked for us. They helped us in any way possible. One of the girls brought us to a market, which, of course, before we got there, half an hour before, there was a downpour. So it was like a gutter hole. Like, the puddles that they brought us through, like, there was older ladies with us, and, like, I don't even know how they got across, because I was struggling. Like, and then I went to step across one puddle, and some man just stood in it, and it japped all over me, and I just, like, because <laughs> I thought, what is on me? Oh, my goodness. And all the locals were like, Agba, Agba, oh, sorry, sorry, Agba, Agba. And I was like, it's okay. Even though my feet were now brown, my, my clothes were guttered right up my back. <laughs> the people were like, don't sit back in the car because we don't really know what that is. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was just unreal. Um, so then the girls were brilliant. So I was running out to them saying, is this head cover okay? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. By the end of it, the head cover was off. It wouldn't even stay on my head. Um, went into church, and they were finishing off the Sunday school. And there was, oh my goodness, there must have been 40 kids, like from wee totes to like 16, 17. Um, the assistant pastor took it, and it was amazing. Like they were all up nearly preaching. Oh my goodness, it was unreal. And then next thing, then they broke and we were all kind of outside and then all the kids ran out and they were just amazed to see white people. Like even in the marketplace, anywhere you went, white people, you know, it was like they were taking out their cameras and just taking pictures of you and had their mobile phones out. And like at first, like I was like, hi, you know, kind of posing towards the end. I was like, stop it. <laughs> you know, it got just so bad. Like, um, but church started and at the front, um, they have the pulpit and over at this side, they have a choir and they have a room behind it and the choir comes out and there's one lady that kind of leads it and she nearly like does an African kind of chant but it is amazing and the rest of the choir does like the background song you have never heard music like it like we all just stopped and like the tears were near tripping us it was unbelievable um and so we sang some courses and they sang a couple of English which was good and then half of them couldn't sing it so then they sang in their language their main language is Igala, um, but then they have their tribal language as well. Um, so Agba and Awa is the main language. After that, I was lost. You know, of course, they thought she can speak the language and just started talking to me. Like in the hospitals, and I was like, little bit Awa, Agba. And they were like, ooh, Agba. Um, and then after that, then there was announcements for half an hour, like the Baptists. We're like, we should get them on a bulletin and put them on a sheet to cut out that half an hour. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Meanwhile, we were sitting there sweating. The water was drunk. It was just roasting. There was a couple of fans that worked, but they just turned on and off as they pleased. Um, and then the preaching started. Unbelievable. Um, he was really hitting home. And one line he said was, Lord, speed the feet of those that are coming. Basically, because people just walk in and out of church. They come at whatever time they leave at whatever time. The kids walk up and down the aisles dancing. They just start dancing and dancing their own way. And everybody's just like, yeah. And they pass the babies about. You can never tell who the parents were. Because the babies were to everybody. Like, from kids of, like, Haley's age to us, it was unbelievable. I was like, whose kid is this? This is unreal. And there was one kid, and oh my goodness, she was just absolutely stunning. Um, she caught my eye as soon as I walked in. And I kept looking and looking at her, and I thought, is that an arm? But she had a big hernia. 
and she was four months old and I later got talking to her mummy. Her mummy was a teacher. Her name was Patience and um, she taught at the local school and her husband worked um, in the next state and she was recently going to move over and um, the daughter's name was Confidence and Favour. So they had two wee girls and they said that she had to wait until she was one to have the operation and the hernia, honestly, it is unbelievable. I've never seen one as bad. Um, so the church on the second week, this is the clip that I want to show. Um, on the second week, um, they had a naming and for the naming, after the service went on for three and a half hours, then they were doing this naming. Well, the local people came and said, you don't have to stay, you know, you can leave. So we, like, there was a couple of them and they were dying and they just had to get back to the house to get some water and stuff. But I kind of stayed. And basically what happens is the parents and the friends and the relatives leave the church and then they come in dancing and um, they really get into it. And then they start going into like a time of praise and worship. So this is the first clip I want to show you. Um. just hit any drums <laughs> it just didn't matter as long as the bass was pumping he just hit any drums and I was like nearly scanning over and um unbelievable um and every so often the keyboard came in and it was totally overpowering like I was like turn that keyboard down you know it was just like any note will do just as long as just as long as they're singing and they've got their hands up and they're dancing and all they were happy absolutely amazing um, so after that then we left and we went and had our lunch, food, um, quite a lot of rice, quite a lot of pasta, quite a lot of yams which are like spuds but drier and blander. Um, what you had with this was maybe a piece of meat. The first day we had like a tiny cube of meat each and I thought oh, this is great beef and they were like have you seen any cows Rachel and I was like not on the compound, no. And they were like, it's not cow. I was like, what is it? And they were saying, see the chickens, the goats? That's what you're eating. And I was like, and the goat was as tough as leather. I was trying to cut it. My food was going everywhere. And you could have chewed it while you ate the rest of your dinner, just one piece of it. <laughs> so it flavored the food for you anyway. It was the strongest type of meat you have ever tried in your life. Towards the end, you were just like, no, my teeth, like my fillings are ready for coming out. I can't take that anymore. Um, we had a couple of pieces of the chicken. I normally help. Um, we always met on this long kind of table. And somehow I always landed in front of the food, which meant you always had to serve the food. So I always scanned it first. If there was a good looking piece of chicken there, that was mine. <laughs> If there's any veins or any fat or anything that didn't look like meat, I wasn't eating it. And along with it, you got like this sauce and everything was hot. It started off quite mild and the older ones towards the end were like, they're trying to blow the heads off us. It got hotter and hotter every day. Um, it was like this oil stuff and there was onions and a few peppers. And there's one guy, 
Walter, and um, we got like this pasta thing, and they maybe put in a piece of onion, like one piece of onion. And he goes, you know, see if I was making this at home, there would be at least three onions in that. Three onions, a couple of peppers. I was like, you're in Africa. You're lucky you're even getting fed, for goodness sake. Um, and towards the end, you were really, like, it's what you got every day. For breakfast, you got an omelette, which was one omelette split into 13. So it was like tiny eckle portions. Um, porridge they managed to get on to porridge and the first morning they made this wee small bowl well everybody's like give us porridge give us porridge <laughs> there was uh the chips they made us chips one day and they thought like they were brilliant and like they were really lovely chips but not at eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> like it was chips and egg and people had brought out some sauce so we were like smothering it in red sauce and like walter the guy was like a real health guy i'm not eating chips in the morning no way chip john which was like the team leader you need to talk to these people tell them i'll eat chips for lunch or dinner not for breakfast towards the end on our last day he was shoveling the chips into him <laughs> he was like these are lovely chips i was like bit of a change of heart he says you know at home i eat so healthy in here the dad's out the window and i'm losing weight look my trousers are walking off me it was hilarious um but um, so that was food. Um, there's a few pictures in the slideshow that I have, um, but not an awful lot because me and Johnny had to cut it down. <laughs> there's so many pictures. Everybody knows me. I snap happy. Everything I was just taken. Um, after um, lunch on the Sunday, we went to the leper colony. Um, where we were was Holly Memorial Hospital. Um, it was founded in 1948 by a doctor from here, Dr. Holly. And um, they went out to set out up this hospital. At the time, leprosy was the major thing out there. They had over 600 patients that had it. Um, and um, so they made a male colony and then the ladies' colony. Now, the major... Um, is HIV, TB, um, and they have recently opened an eye clinic, which is set up by CBMI, which is Christian Blind Mission, um, which was founded by the Americans, and it's amazing. Um, I was in to see cataract removals. Um, do you know people have to pay hundred dollars which is a minor cost for here you pay like 600 pound for one eye or something and it just changes their whole life they can't see and then next thing they have this operation and it's just amazing um, so the colonies are part of the compound inside the compound they have their hospital they have their church they have their school it's like a wee world you know like we hardly left the compound like we went to the market one day maybe and then a few of the team went on the second Sunday to go and see a possible um, another project, um, maybe to go back to. But I just stayed and tried to have a couple of rays, but I got burnt in the process. Um, but um, basically, we just stayed in the compound, and you really felt like there was nothing outside the compound. They they like had everything, and you know they use everything. Nothing's wasted. You know they make their own. You know, they make everything from scratch. Um, and we went up to the leprosy colony, and you go up this wee kind of trail, basically, up into, like, a far-out place. And as soon as we walked up, they have five houses in the female colony, and I think five or six down in the male colony. The female colony was a bit more... It wasn't as sad as the male colony. The male colony, the men couldn't lift their heads. They never smiled. They never talked to us. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, up, whenever we went up on Sunday afternoon, we all walked up, and the head of the hospital, um, he was brilliant. He was like the leader of our group as such, you know, like he led us. And if we needed anything, it was no problem went and got it and we went up and we met the people and there are some people they had lost limbs 
um, their hands were completely affected. Um, the female colony, they worked together. You know, there was a real sense of, I'll help you if you help me. You know, what little they had, they shared it. Um, whereas, you know, it really spoke to all of us because we have so much here and they have so little. And what little they have, which I've found from here at night, you know, like to the likes of India, to the likes of the Philippines, what little they have, they will share, they will give you, no problem. Um, it's really humbling. Um, and the female colony, anyway, we went and inspected the houses. Um, the aim was, for the labouring part, was to paint the houses, to clean them out. The houses inside were just absolutely, you wouldn't have a dog living in it. That's how bad it was. The smell was horrendous. They cooked out in the open, and that's where our food was cooked too. I didn't even take a picture of it because you wouldn't want to see it. And it was a miracle. All of us were fit and well. I haven't been fit and well ever since I've got home, but I was fit and well out there. No dodgy bellies. Unbelievable. Um, uh, the houses, the wiring is just lying loose. You could get electrocuted. Whenever we were painting, I was working with wires. There was bugs crawling out. We didn't even know what bugs they were, and to be honest, you didn't want to know. Um, the chickens ran around everywhere. The roosters were cock-a-doodle-doodling every two minutes. Like, you actually heard it in your dreams. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but we all called the colony kind of together, and, like, there was kids there, and they're there not because they have leprosy, but because maybe their parents have it or their parents had it. So, you know, it's just the cycle moving on. And how do you break that chain? You know, they honestly couldn't cope if they had to go back into the real world as such because whenever they got it, they were told to leave their town. Like, they were exiled. And even within the compound, people don't go up and see them because there's that fear that I might get it. And I can remember meeting them for the first time, and it spread like through a cough or through a wet kind of droplet. Or if, you know, I have a picture, and there's a man that has nodules on his ear and on his face and on his nose, and if they start to weep, that's how it's spread. And if you have an open wound, that is how it's going to get in. And I can remember the first one that reached out to shake my hand. And honestly, I kind of hesitated, and I thought, Oh my goodness. And then I thought, how could I not show an act of love by just a simple handshake? Like, I'm here to show the love of God. I'm here to serve these people. And just even in doing that simple act, they started crying because nobody had showed them love. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. Like, the tears were tripping us. And we got all the colony together and um, we said that we were from the UK and. They had a pastor there as well, and we said what our aims and goals were, basically were to put mosquito nets up on every window, to fix the windows, and around the houses there was like a walkway, but half of it was like away or about to break away. So like we kind of fixed up that. We painted the outside, um, and we painted the inside as well. and. Whenever they started hearing this, they started crying. And they started, like, to lift this song up. And the next clip is a part of the song. Um, if it starts to shake, it's because I was crying. And half the team were in tears, and half the team had to walk away. Because we didn't want to see them. We never wanted them to let... We didn't want them to see us crying as though... Not that we were horrified, but it was just breaking our hearts to see that there was people living like this, and they were so grateful and so humble, you know, that we would come to their country to try and help them. Um, so this is the song that they started singing. Carry my sin, wash me, and carry me. There's nothing that is too hard for God. Oh, my God. It's the beginning and the end. It's the one that is so dearest to me more than everything. God can do anything. Anywhere. 
Anytime. There's nothing that is to have. So basically, I don't know if you could hear what that song meant, but basically it was saying the Lord of the impossible, he can do anything, anywhere, anytime. He is the Alpha, the Omega, and they went on. And at the end of the song, every team member was in tears, and I kind of walked away. And these two wee girls latched on to me, and it was like the African Nicole and Haley. They were like, Auntie Rachel, Auntie Rachel. And they took my hand, and I thought I cannot look down at them because my tears are tripping me. And you just look down at them, and their wee smiley, happy faces. It, it just broke your heart. It was unbelievable. So then, anyway, oh, I was going quite well there without tears. <laughs> Anyway, then, we went down to the male colony. The male colony was like the female colony, but the atmosphere was not the same. Um, they stayed basically in their own houses or around their own houses. They didn't really talk to each other. Um, some people were crawling on their knees because they couldn't walk. And um, it was just unbelievable. People lost their eye. Um, Words cannot express what it was like. Um, it was like a barren land. And how then people live in that, it's unbelievable. Um, so we met with them, and as soon as we started telling them again, they just started crying, and they cried, and they cried, but they wouldn't lift their heads. Nobody had come down to talk to them for years. Um, and on our last night, um, they hosted a special night for us, and they made us a couple of costumes. This isn't the costume that I was made. I was made like an orange one, but I bought this material, and they said that they would make me this for six pounds or something. Absolutely, and they made it within a day. It was unreal. And on the last day, um, on the last night, sorry, they had the special meeting, and we especially asked the people within the leper colony to come. They hadn't come to the church. They didn't feel that they were welcome to come to the church, even though they live within the compound. They just felt totally cut off from everything. And um, they said, there was a couple of them stood up and spoke, and they said, you know, we, we've been praying to God for years to send somebody to make us feel loved, to make us feel worthy to be here, because we feel so neglected and so unworthy and so worthless. And they said, you know, the Lord sent these white people and they came, and I'm sure every one of you are thinking, you could go and work in the hospital because that's where it will be seen more. Or you could go and work within the school because the school needs a good work. But nobody would ever think about going to the leprosy colonies because, sure, they're just cut off anyway. And that's how they honestly felt. And they were all crying. And the rest of the compound was there. And our leader um, spoke. And he said, honestly, put up your hands. How many people has went up to the leprosy colony? And all the time that you've lived here, how many people? And there was four people raised their hands. And he said, that is a shame. They are the Lord's people. They love the Lord as well. And you should want to spend time with them. You should make them feel loved, not make them feel that they are completely exiled because they have a condition. That, that is not what the love of God's about. And, you know, it really spoke to me. You know, even people here, you know, how many times... Would you look at their outward appearance and think, mm, they're not my type of people, or no. The Lord doesn't look at people like that. You know, they just see their heart, and they have the purest of hearts. You know, they just want to serve the Lord. And the next couple of pictures are effects of the leprosy. So these are the nodules, which is the start of it. One of our team members, Dr. Charlie McGibbon, 
worked out there um, from 1971 to 1986. And whenever he went back, it was amazing how some of the leprosy patients recognized him. And as soon as they seen them, they started crying and running to them. And it was just unbelievable to see how he had touched their lives all them years ago, and they had still recognized them. And they were just so, uh, it was unbelievable. So the nodules are here. So this guy traveled from like two states away to come to this hospital because they know that they will get the treatment, the best treatment, because this hospital is known for the best treatment within leprosy and HIV. The next slide, um, this is a man's hands. He's lost the fingers within that hand. And then this is the other side of it. So um, at first you had to ask, is it okay if I take a picture? And some people were so embarrassed that they were like, no. They didn't want anybody to see how this had affected them. In the next picture, the lady's feet. To watch her walk, it was unbelievable. She struggled to walk so much, but she came to the church, which was, which was like maybe half a mile away. Like they, they, they came because they wanted to show that they were so happy and grateful that we had come to try and help them. The next slide shows um, this lady. What leprosy does is it numbs the nerve endings and if you bang your foot or your finger, you don't feel it. So you may have a cut and it starts to become really badly infected and it leads on to maybe this. I passed this lady as I was going down to the male colony and she must have some nerve endings left because she was starting to wince and cry. There's no pain relief at all. Um, you just got the wound done or you got whatever done and you just had to suffer through it. And they are the most refined people. They will not hardly scream. And I've seen some of the most horrific things where I would have been screaming my head off. You would have heard me back here. And they hardly made a sound. The next picture, um, Happy Days. Um, this man, it's not really his name, Happy Days, but we call them Happy Days. Um, he lived down in the male colony. Um, as soon as he seen us, he was like, happy days, and started singing the song, happy days. And um, he was just such a light down there in the male colony, and he lifted the spirits of everybody, and he lifted our spirits, because to be honest, going down there was so hard, because the people were so down, and as much as you wanted to be happy and try and lift them, it was so difficult, because the poverty and the pain that people were in, it was heartbreaking. And happy days um, just was amazing. Every one of us loved him. Um, and on our last day, um, we were down, and he had fell an hour kind of before. And the glasses that he was wearing, like real old glasses, real thick. And he came over to us, and the tears were tripping him, and the glasses had broke. And the left leg had completely snapped off. And like, he was like, ah, and, and he was so frustrated and so annoyed that like, he was just talking his language. Like, we were like, you need to slow down. We can't understand. And basically what happened was he fell and these glasses broke. And it was his only way of trying to see because he really struggled to see. And he started crying. And we had all left money. And we just thought we wanted to get happy days and another pair of glasses. So we went up and spoke to the head of the hospital. And we had it organized for him to go to the eye clinic the next morning to get a new pair of glasses. So as we were coming down um, to tell him, he had this hat on and the glasses were on his head. And I was like, happy days, you fixed your glasses? And he was like, ah, and took off the hat. He had tied a piece of string from the one leg that was still on to around the back of his head to the middle to keep them on. Now, how many people would even have thought of that? How did he even do that? Where did he get the string from? It w you know, they are just so resourceful. They will not waste anything. And whenever we started to tell him that he had to go to the eye clinic the next morning, he started crying and started saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and started singing happy days. <laughs> and we were all like, happy days. And, and like he was marching back one, happy days, happy days. So we all absolutely loved him. So the next morning he went and he came 
to our house to let us see. And he's so proud of these glasses, even though I think he put them on and tried to straighten them, but actually made them crooked. <laughs> he just thought he was these knees. And it was just, just a tiny thing, you know, that we take for granted. Um, just unbelievable. Um, back to the church, the offerings. There was three offerings. There was your praises, tithes, and then for the pastor. And every time you went up row by row from the back to the front to on the platform and you danced going up and they were all like, Lord, we lift up your name and you had to dance. It was crazy. And the locals loved to see us dance because we didn't have any rhythm. <laughs> we could not move at all. And the men were really going for it. And the eldest one in our group flipped Wally. He was amazing. They all loved him. The kids loved him. They just flocked around him. On the second Sunday, there was praises, tithes, and for the month of May, they, they happened to change all this. But of course, we didn't know that they changed the bucket. So I was just putting the same money into the bucket, the same bucket, instead of changing the buckets. Um, just very, very different to life here. Um, we went to the school one day, and it was May 27th. And there's a song here that the kids will sing, and it goes, May 27th, Nigerian Children's Day, Nigerian Children's Day. And this is their day. This is the kids' day. And I was like, we need to adopt this back home. We don't have a Children's Day. You've got Mother's Day. You've got Father's Day. And basically, they come to school, and they march, and they sing, and they love it. And then they march around the whole compound, and then they go and have this party. And the kids were so proud to come and do this for us. And um, the very end of their marching and very end of their military marching. And you'll see them at ease. Attention. And um, from like wee babies nearly to kind of big kids. Um, there's, 207, there's 297 pupils that go. And um, within this, there's maybe six teachers for all these peoples, unbelievable. So, it's the next one, the school one. Basically, um, I worked in the hospitals most mornings. Um, the HIV clinics ran on a Tuesday and on a Thursday morning, and I worked in them. Um, it was really well kind of set up. 
they came into us and they got their weight taken, they had their blood pressure taken, if there were new patients, their weight or their height and their temperature and stuff was taken. And then they went on to have a test done. And basically, the blood test was to indicate whether or not they had HIV. Um, and if they were on the treatment, which there was only two lines of treatment for, to see if it was being effective. And if it wasn't, then they were changed to line two. And if line two of the treatment didn't work, then there was no treatment for them. Um, the ages range from wee babies, which was passed on by the parents, and right up to the elderly. Um, then they spoke to the doctor, and the doctor got the medical history from them to see if there was any history of it within the family or to find out how they got it. Um, and then they went and spoke to the pharmacist and to a counsellor, which went through their medication, when to take it, how to take it. Sometimes the, the medication wouldn't work because um, they weren't taking it properly, they weren't taking it at the right time, they weren't taking it, um, they weren't just taking it the way that they were meant to. Um, so on our first morning, we must have seen 92 patients. The BPs were manual. <laughs> so I was taking manual BPs. There's no fans. I was sweating. My back was soaking. And just to try and get the cuff on and off, my hands were going all fumbly. <laughs> I could hardly get it on because it was so warm. But the people were just, they were just amazed to see us there, to wanting to help. And like just such a small thing in our eyes, you know. Um, and then within the hospital, then I went round and done a couple of wounds. One of the wounds that you'll see within the slideshow there was this man, and um, we got talking to him. He's a real big man, and his name's Abdul. And he is a cop out there, and he got shot in his ankle. And we thought, flip me, it must be really bad out here. No, he was lifting his gun out of the holster, and he pulled the trigger, and he shot himself in the ankle. And he loved it. Now, he had this wound from 2009. He had, they had tried everything, whether there was infection that they weren't picking up on, whether there was infection within the bone, osteomyelitis, I have no idea, but the wound was not healing. But what they were using to clean it with, we haven't used here for over 20 years, like to the point where I didn't even recognize it. And the other nurse that worked alongside me, she's from Bambridge, and she was like, I'm not even doing that wound with that, because I know that that's so bad for that. So she left me to do it. So you'll see me doing the wound. And um, he basically lived in the hospital, and he actually was like in the hospital because he had people to talk to. He had company. He had become immune to everything, and he just loved being among the company, and he loved to see us coming, and he had his mobile phone out, and he was taking pictures, and there was pictures of me and him. And there was one day him and one of the guys had an arm wrestle, and he wasn't even trying. And our guy had his two hands trying to get him down. And he thought this was hilarious. And the whole hospital flocked around because this was real entertainment for them, you know. And um, then another day, I seen a birth. And a text pastor and text daddy. And I text Sarah and Becky. And Rebecca was like, I bet you're wanting to be a midwife now, huh? Um, <laughs> births are totally different to here. I've seen two births here. I've seen a natural and I've seen a section. Um, the birth there, um, the lady, I was waiting on this baby to be born. I was adamant that I was going to see a Nigerian birth. <laughs> I wanted to see one. And this lady was in for two days, and she must have come in a bit too early. And, like, at first she wasn't even having any labor pains. And towards the end, this was the height of her labor pains. Ooh, ooh, ha, ha, ooh, ooh. And I thought, she's not in labor, for goodness sake. You'd be screaming your head off if you're in labor, not doing, like, an African chant. She was. Next thing, the baby was coming out of her. And all she was doing was, hoo, hoo, ha, ha. I nearly felt like screaming for her. I, I turned around, and the other nurse was with us. And I was like, this is sore than that. Like, and then the other person, Anne, she's from County Monaghan, and she worked as a midwife. And I said, see, if that was me in labor, you would hear me screaming my head off. She was like, well, why? Like, I'll not do you any good. 
and, and my guy was like, do me any good? It'll get the frustration out of me and let me know they're in pain and get this baby out of me. Unbelievable. And within the two days, I really got to know the family. Um, the mum was called Mercy and the daddy was called Johnson. And the sister of the mum-to-be worked within the hospital and she was on nights that whole week and she came and she sat with her didn't get any sleep and went on to work. This was just what they'd done. But the husband and the mother-in-law and the other sister sat outside on this mat and they just let her continue on with these labor pains. And there was one evening on the Thursday evening, the baby was born on the Friday night. On the Thursday evening, I went up before we had our meeting and there was another power out. And the woman was standing in there in the pitch black in this tiny pokey room and there was nobody there with her. And the only reason why the midwives came in was because I was there and one of the doctors happened to be passing. There's four doctors that work within the hospital compound. And um, I said that I was here hoping maybe to see the birth. And he had a check of her and he said, the baby's not going to be born for at least another day. You may as well go home. And there was no light within that room. And before I left, I ensured there was a light and somebody was staying with her. Like, I couldn't stay because I wouldn't have been safe to go back to our house, even though it was on the compound, it was advised you don't travel, especially ladies, don't travel alone. Um, and then every day I always went back, they cottoned on to my name, Auntie Rachel, Auntie Rachel, everybody called me Auntie Rachel, Auntie Rachel, Auntie Rachel, to the point where the family was getting really concerned because they were like, why is this baby not here yet? And her mummy came in and started crying to me and saying, please, please look after her, please, please look after her. And um, anyway, in between the ooh, ooh, ah, ah, the baby was born. And I literally have a picture of it born, and it was two seconds old. I just got the camera, and I just stuck it in there. Now, it's not very graphic-like, but it's graphic. Um, and it shows you, shows you clear in the chest, where they put like this tiny wee tube down into their mouth or into their nose. And then they have the other Lincoln tube in their mouth. And I was like, are they manually sucking that baby out and of course the other nurse were like no they couldn't be doing that there's like this catcher i seen her spitting out it was going into her mouth i was nearly vomiting i was like mm. even though they were like come see the baby i was like hold on mm. well i was nearly broken honestly just and while the while mercy was giving birth it was like manually restraining her one person was at her head holding it down. Another two was at her arms holding them down. And another two were at her legs. It was unbelievable. Like, I was watching like this. I was like, and then I turned around to Ireland and I said, I'm nowhere near ready for that. <laughs> the Lord knows he has to prepare me for that. Even though Daddy says, see, whenever it comes time for you having a baby, by Jove, we'll hear you squealing. <laughs> and by Jove, you will. I will squeal, and people in Africa will know I'll be having a baby. Um, so basically, the trip was amazing. I totally loved it. From morning, you were up at seven, breakfast half seven, started working. Mid, mid, after, or mid morning break at half ten for a drink. Lunch at one, then worked right through to at five. And then you washed, had dinner at seven, and then you had your meeting at half eight. Some nights... One of the team members spoke, and it was amazing. It, it was just so good just to meet with other people that you never knew before in your life. They came from all these different backgrounds, come from all these different churches, and we all just jailed. And that's the way it's meant to be, you know. Um, whenever we head up to heaven, there'll not be panties in one corner, Baptists. And it was just amazing. Um, and I would recommend, if you feel that the Lord's calling you to go on a mission, go for it. Um, but make sure it's right, you know, because um, it, it'll change you completely. So the next one is a slide, and it's like a mixture of all that has happened. And just sit back and watch it, and I hope you enjoy it. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.
just another couple of minutes. Bear with me.
She did fantastic, didn't she? Brilliant. There we are. Took a bit longer than expected. <laughs> well, Daddy, I hope you saw that big black fella giving her a good squeeze there. Did you notice that? Yeah. That was our team leader. He's married. Oh. I knew he would all think that. Safe enough for another year, Sam. <laughs> Getting her hopes up there, but it's okay. So we're really, really proud of you. You did a fantastic job. Super job, eh? Good. Good. Thanks.